All right. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, thanks to Keith for covering last week. I'm on my way to getting better, so I'm still not quite over my cold, but um, uh, I'm glad to be back. So let's open with some prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and care for us, and that as we um, think about what it means to work in the world that you've created and um, as new creations ourselves uh, through the power and work of Jesus Christ, pray that you would um, bring to mind ways that um, this lesson can have uh, great effect in our uh, hearts and in our lives, that we would be able to apply um, these things and see the gospel have fruit um, in our work. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to discuss the subject this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, just in terms of recap, uh, the first, I guess, four lessons that we've done um, already was talking about how God has created work, um, the purpose and design for work, how work was affected by sin um, and continues to be affected by sin, um, and the brokenness um, and frustration in the world, and then um, and also how it exposes our hearts um, as sinners. We talked, um, the last lesson I taught was on um, how it exposes the idols in our hearts. So today we want to shift and start looking at the, um, the effect that the gospel has on our work. Um, you know, at the, the first lesson, I talked about how the, the concept of worldview, which we, you know, you hear frequently, um, in kind of a Christian, um, environment. And the idea being that we want to have our view of the world shaped by, um, scripture, shaped by the gospel. I, I heard a, a great quote this week, um, that was, the Bible is not something to be looked at, it's something to be looked through. The idea being that the, the Bible is something that, Scripture is something that we're looking at the world through and the perspective that it gives us on how the world really is. So, you know, one of the most significant things as we think about work is we can look at, you know, how God created it and how it has been frustrated by sin, but um, that's not where we are. Uh, in terms of that when we're looking at the uh, creation, uh, fall, redemption, um, consummation framework, we, we do live in the brokenness of a fallen world, but we are also redeemed creatures. We're changed. And so the gospel is going to have an effect or should have an effect on our lives in every way. Um, and particularly, we want to discuss how it affects um, our work. So, I think one of the things that can be uh, challenging or a danger of, you know, teaching a class like this is that we can end up saying a lot of helpful and uh, true, even biblical things without actually getting to the gospel, and, which is the most important thing. And, you know, our approach as Christians should be different than even someone who shares kind of uh, the same moral framework, say a, a, a devout Jew or a good Mormon that would espouse kind of some of the same moral uh, principles that we would. Uh, but the gospel ought to make us different in the way that we approach our work. 
Tim Keller writes, The gospel is the true story that God made a good world that was marred by sin and evil, but through Jesus Christ, he redeemed it at infinite cost to himself, so that someday he will return to renew all creation, end all suffering and death, and restore absolute peace, justice, and joy in the world forever. The vast implications of this gospel worldview about the character of God, the goodness of material creation, the value of all people and all things, the primacy of love and grace, the importance of justice and truth, and the hope of redemption affect everything, especially our work. So today I want to talk about how the gospel makes us a different worker um, than someone uh, who may even espouse a similar kind of morality as what we do. So uh, there's, I'm going to kind of focus on two different lists. So we'll first go through how the gospel changes our orientation, how it's given us a new master, a new assignment, new hearts, new confidence, and new rewards. And then we'll talk about the, the implications of these things on giving us freedom in our work and the freedom to worship God through our work, to serve others through our work, to trust God in our work, to rest from our work, pursue excellence, and to have joy in our work. So our work uh, should be different because of Jesus' work. Jesus was the perfect worker. He carried out the work that God gave him to do, uh, including accomplishing our salvation on the cross. Jesus' work was to live here, to, or to live a righteous life and to die a sinner's death. His work was to go to the cross uh, where he took the penalty that our sin deserved so that we could be made right with God. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, a transaction took place. Uh, he came to deal with the wages of our sin and our massive debt against God that we could never repay. He came with a flawless credit score, a life of pure obedience, a perfect relationship with God, and the great trade was that God treated Jesus as we deserved so that all who believe him would be treated as he deserved. And he made the ultimate sacrifice of his life so that we could know the ultimate grace of being forgiven of our sins and brought into right relationship with God. So if we trust in Jesus... We are saved by his work, uh, not by our own work. And that has some very serious implications for us. Uh, it means that uh, this list here, we have a new master, a new assignment, new hearts, new confidence, and new rewards. Probably the most obvious is that we have a new master. We have a new boss that we are serving in all of our endeavors, and that includes work, whether it is in a traditional workplace or at school or in the home or, um, you know, taking care of uh, our families. So if we have, if we trust in Christ's work, then we have a new master. Uh, in Romans, we learn that we used to be slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. Um, in Galatians, it talks about how we were enemies, but now we are sons and heirs of God. Um, and First Peter talks about how we're stewards of the grace that we have been given. And so because Jesus is our 
new master, we work to please him. Um, I was reminded of another verse on the, on the drive here. The kids were, or Jack was reciting the verse that, you know, you can't serve two masters. And as, um, as people that have been redeemed, our master is Jesus. And as you think about this, we ought to think about the contrast of what it is for a Christian who is oriented towards the gospel, the difference the, uh, that that is to um, those who have not been redeemed. And, you know, I think that one of the most obvious differences I see in my workplace between um, kind of my orientation as a Christian and working with unbelievers is that their ultimate purpose is service to themselves. So that they don't have any other ultimate, you know, boss. I, I might, we might do some of the same things, but ultimately, you know, as a Christian, I'm thinking about or should be thinking about how I am pleasing God and that ultimately everything that we're doing is towards that end. Whereas the unbelievers that I work with, you know, that's all there is. Whatever the benefit is to them, you know, they're serving themselves. And so that is a, a, a great contrast um, that we have in terms of our orientation. And as we go through these, we can think about that in terms of that contrast. When we say new, it's that's compared to something that's old, right? So, you know, we are new creation. You know, the old man, the, the unredeemed, um, that's what we're comparing this to, is, is those who don't have this new identity in Christ. Um, the, the next one is we have a new assignment. And, you know, work tends to look at just the functionally, functionally what do you do? So that's what's important, right? That's the, the, the most important thing is how you're doing your job. Um, it's not about the person that you're becoming. It's about, you know, the job that you do. But, um, in, but Jesus reorders our assignments. And when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, in Matthew 22, we, we read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So our main assignment is to love God. Um, the, the moment we became Christians, that trumped all other goals um, in our life. Uh, and it's interesting because that's you know different than just saying serve God. Service is part of it, but it's an orientation a, uh, of love towards God and, and then towards our neighbor. Um, to love God is to devote ourselves to appreciating his magnificence. Then, as we do what Jesus says, that love is most often expressed through loving people. So, another way to put this is the main assignment that Jesus gives us is to pay attention to whom we serve, not to what we do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, from Matthew 6. That means that in your workplace, you're working for something different than the non-Christians around you. Yes, you know, earning wages is important. Um, uh, advancement can be good and important. Um, we want to help our bosses do a good job. But ultimately, 
we are there, even in our workplace, to love God better. And we ought to have that approach in our mindset, even to our work. Um, The next one is that we have new hearts. So there's probably nothing more deflating uh, than being given an assignment without the resources to carry it out. There may be an element of challenge in that kind of a situation, but for the most part, that's pretty demotivating. I'm sure that all of us have struggled with feeling inadequate for a task and just not feeling like you've been given the tools to accomplish what the task is. But Jesus doesn't just give us a new assignment. He gives us new hearts to carry it out. He gives us the power to, to do what he's called us to. And this is the one of the many ways in which Jesus is unlike any other boss that you'll ever have. Um, when we feel like we're called to do the seemingly impossible, he gives us everything that we need to accomplish that. Um, if you're a Christian, then you've been given a new heart and a new mind. Prophet Ezekiel uh, speaks of this in uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And the Apostle Paul explained that the power of the Spirit would enable us to love God. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And not only to love God, but to love others around us. We read in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He also forgives and restores us when we fail to accomplish these new assignments. We're not going to be able to um, love him perfectly. Uh, it's, we are still struggling with sin in this broken world. But he has given us new hearts and he um, gives us the power to uh, love him. And he is infinitely patient with us. He doesn't set us up for failure. Um, We have all the grace that we could ever need to love God and love others. Uh, The fourth thing that the gospel gives us that I want to talk about is new confidence. Seems like many of the problems that I run into in the workplace or, or that I see observed is Issues of self-worth and confidence. Uh, you know, someone may think, I slave away at my job, desperate to move past my peers because that's how I know that I'm okay as a person. Or I'm very sensitive to criticism or completely deflated when my boss or teacher gives me negative feedback because my self-worth is wrapped up in my job. You know, whether that's as um, in a traditional workplace or as a student or you know interactions with your spouse at home, it's so easy for people to have their identity tied to their work, whatever that is. Um, now, we specifically did not say that the gospel gives us new self-worth. Okay, 
the, what I want to emphasize here is that it gives us new confidence because you, you kind of see the platitudes out there of, you know, God loves you so much. You're worth so much. You're so valuable. Um, feel, you know, good self-esteem because God loves you. You can do anything. Um, but that's not really what the gospel tells us about ourselves. The gospel tells us a, a lot darker picture <laughs> about what we, um, you know, what we are worth. It, it tells us that, you know, we have spent our lives, um, you know, defaming the most beautiful being in all of existence. Um, the, the point of the gospel isn't how great we are, it's how great Jesus is and how great he, um, how great his work is shown through us. That's what gives us value and worth is, is being um, a picture of the redemption that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. So instead of a doctrine of self-worth in the Bible, we see the real answer is um, that looking to the acceptability of Christ's work, not our own. So we may think we need self-worth to be motivated, but our motivation as Christians should come out of a desire to please God who sacrificed his own son to forgive us of everything we did wrong. We ought to be motivated out of a love that flows from that gratitude. Um, we don't need self-work, what, self-worth. We need confidence in what Christ has done on our behalf and in, in the, and in his promises. We'll talk about when we get over here to the freedom to trust God, we have um, we have can have confidence in our work because we know what God has already accomplished for us and will accomplish in us. Um, last, we've got we have new rewards. So, what are we? The question here is, what are we working for? I mentioned, you know, the. As an unbeliever, your rewards are, you know, whatever's right there in front of you, right? It could be, you know, money, power, fame, comfort, acceptance, uh, praise from those around you. Um, that's the only reward, you know, you're ever going to get for your work. Um, and all of that is very empty. But what we have in Jesus is rewards that are far greater and last forever. There's no greater reward than what Jesus gives those who work for him. Um, if we think forward to, we talked about um, creation, fall, redemption, and then the consummation. We look forward to a time in which we will work and worship in heaven for eternity and have everything that we could ever need. Um, and so we have, um, as first Peter calls it, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That is what we have to look forward to. So when we look at our work now, our rewards aren't those temporal things that are right in front of us. We look forward to the rewards that we have in Christ for eternity. So working for Jesus changes everything forever. 
In him we have a new master, a new assignment, new hearts, new confidence, and new rewards. So practically, what does this look like in our work experiences? You know, whether we're, you know, everyone from being a student towards retirement, in retirement, everybody's working. You, you, we all continue to work. Um, so what does the gospel look like in our work on a day-to-day basis? And I, the, the, what I want to focus on is freedom. So the, the one word to take away that what does the gospel do for us in our day-to-day work is it gives us freedom. If we don't have an eternal perspective for our work, um, then we're going to be, you know, tossed to and fro by the waves of temporary successes and failures, bosses who do or don't treat us very well, being in and out of employment, um, uh, changes in the economy, um, in our own desires. We're going to be, be subject to those changes all the time. But by working, um, by working for Jesus, we aren't completely free from those fluctuations, certainly. They're inevitably going to affect our work. We're still in that frustrated, broken world. But uh, we are free from having our identity and our responses to those circumstances anchored to the circumstances because we are anchored in something else. We're anchored in Christ. So we can respond to our circumstances and situations differently because our ultimate identity, our ultimate self-worth, our present and future rewards have already been secured by Jesus Christ. So we're going to walk through some of the implications of the gospel in the form of freedom that we should be experiencing in Christ. And this is kind of a freedom report card. So if you, as you're going through this, um, If you mark yourself low in experiencing these freedoms, then think about these. Go back to them and and, uh, think about what the gospel means um, in terms of these freedoms. So the first is freedom to worship God from our work. So in Christ, we are free to worship God through our work. Uh, Worship is, in its essence, um, adoration and action. You know, adoration, a comprehension of the excellence of who God is, and then action responding accordingly. Um, work helps us do both of those. Uh, first, in terms of adoration, being a worker helps us understand the, mag- the magnificence of the character of God, the ultimate uh, worker. It's one thing to read in Scripture that God's authority is good, but it's quite another to experience it as you either act it out or recognize good authority around you, benefiting from it. It's one thing to read in Scripture of God's creativity. Um, It's another to see it in his creation. Um, And we can understand it even more as we act it out, as we experience creativity in our work. Um, All of that creativity is just a mere shadow of the creativity of God. Um, and then second is action. If God is worth serving, then we want to serve him. And what that looks like is obedience in him, no matter how small or how important the task. It means that my attitude and aims are not going to be tied to me and to my circumstances, 
um, how much I can accrue for myself. Work is no longer built around me and my goals, but around making much of God. Mark? You know, I, uh, one of the things you can do with this is you can then start you know, going down and making the lists. And this kind of reminds me of an article I wrote for the Meadows Messenger many years ago during my legalistic phase, but which I, I think applies to this. And the question, the question I had in the article was, should a Christian push their grocery cart back to the cart curb? Some people were stunned by that. But, oh my God, I, I think what you're saying is that we should yes. push our cart back to the grocery store. And I guess my, my concern here is you can ultimately lead to a list of legal requirements that you set up for yourself. Right. Or you lose the big picture, which is impossible. Right. I don't think, sometimes I think legalists do have a few good ideas. <laughs> Well, ultimately, it comes down to where our heart attitude is, right? So, so we can, um, yeah, we ought to do things that, you know, a legalist could come up with a great list for serving others, right? And it may be all things that we ought to do, but the important thing is not, is what's motivating us to do those things. The problem with pushing your cart back <laughs> is you despise everyone else. <laughs> Yeah. If I won the lottery, I would spend my years giving rewards to people. So, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, I should think literally and just give, uh, give him an A. Or... <laughs> so, I think the, the points are absolutely right. Like, our, um, in our, Use, viewing our work as worship, it's about where our heart is and what our orientation is. And what I want to, what we're talking about here in terms of the freedom that the gospel gives us is that it frees us up from those legalistic things. Like you need to do this in order to get, you know, God's favor. It gives us freedom to worship God in our work and to view our work as more than just you know, sitting there and doing a mundane task, even something as simple as pushing your cart back to the uh, cart stand. Um, that kind of goes into the next one, which is freedom to serve others wholeheartedly. I'm sure that people see um, how rare it is to find a you know, truly altruistic person in whatever workplace that we are in. Someone who has no agenda, but simply to do good to others. Uh, the gospel frees us up to be that type of a person where we're not doing, we're not being good to others in order to get something out of them, to get some sort of reward for ourselves um, from that situation but to truly serve that person out of our love for them because we love God. Ephesians 6 says not to serve by way of my service as people pleasers. <laughs> yeah. It's a tremendous verse. Absolutely. 
our, our motivation is changed by the gospel because we can serve freely without that people-pleasing, you know, agenda um, to either feel better about ourselves or to get some sort of recognition or reward from the people we serve. And that is tied to an understanding of Christ's worth, not looking at trying to build up our self-worth. Um, God has loved us um, in, a, in a way that is wholehearted, that is unrestrained. Um, and he gives us the freedom and power to do that to others. If we are one of God's children, then Scripture tells us that we are sons and daughters and co-heirs in Christ. We already own stock in heaven. We are free to give away our lives now in service to others. And this is probably one of the most provocative, Christ-exalting aspects of our life in the workplace and what makes us different than those around us is that freedom to love people in an unrestrained uh, way. Um, one way, just practically, as we think about doing this, that is um, building in time to our work schedule to serve those around us. So being proactive about not just thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really, um, you know, focus on loving uh, people today, serving them, but actually planning on how to serve people. Like when you see people in need, um, you know, if you have a colleague that you know that you can reach out to and ask to um, help or listen to them share a personal problem or stay late to finish a project. Um, I've noticed the difference. um, And part of why I wanted to come back to teaching this class is because I think this, we have to 